Our farm was actually founded on April 17, 1858. So we've been, um, we just got our Heritage Farm Award, which, which in Iowa is 150 years of farming the same ground. Hey you guys, happy, happy Wednesday. So today's guest is Ethan Lambert, who is a sixth generation cattleman in Iowa. And today's episode is the coolest, okay? So discounting the quality on my own mic in the episode, sorry about that. It is packed with good information from talking about how he got into ranching, sharing truths behind some of the biggest anti-ag buzzwords, and talking about how he got involved with his local advocacy. Today's episode is a long one, so let's just hop right into it. My name is Ethan Lambert. I'm a sixth generation um, farmer, row crop, cattleman. Uh, we breed Black Angus cattle. Um, and basically, when I was a kid, I so I grew up in town, actually. And then uh, I always spent the summers on the farm. And so I just kind of developed a you know passion for just agriculture and farming. And then... Um, once I got into that 4-H um, FFA kind of age range, we moved out to a little acreage outside of town. And then I showed um, showed cattle pretty much throughout up until high school or whenever I could, you know, wasn't able to. And then I went to Iowa State, studied animal science, um, got my four-year degree there. So I, my plan originally was to go work outside of in like basically a like ag company for a few years. And then eventually come back to the farm, but it just worked out better that I came right out of college. And, uh, so I've been doing that for about five years and we run, like I said, about 125 head of, um, black Angus Simmental cows. And then we feed probably three, 400 head of steers every year. Um, we do a little bit, um, I break usually one or two little Shetland ponies every year against my better judgment, I'll tell you that they are interesting, but then, and then on top of farming, I also work, um, part-time at a 10,000 head, um, feedlot operation. Um, and basically I just drive a feed truck, um, kind of supplemental income just to help farming, um, you know, cash flow a little bit for me. And, um, that's kind of, it's kind of me and what I do in agriculture. There's, I was like, we, I know we talked prior to this, but I learned a whole bunch of stuff just in that little intro. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. So you said you are sixth generation and you're in Iowa. So you mentioned you work with your grandfather. Does he have the ranch that's like been all of the generations? Or yeah. Is it? Okay. So that, that's an interesting question. So I'm sixth and basically um, most people, so like I work with my grandpa, most kids would go to college and come back and farm with their dad and their grandpa or something like that. Um, where my grandpa, he had two daughters and my mom's a school teacher in Northwest Iowa where I grew up and my aunt, uh, sells insurance and runs cattle down in Southeast Iowa. And so basically they didn't want to come back and it's totally fine. But then, um, so then I was the first grandson to come back and that's kind of how I got incorporated right away. But to the, to your question is, yeah, all of his ancestors have been in farming. So ours, our farm was actually founded on April 17, 1858. So we've been, um, we just got our heritage farm award, which, 
which in Iowa is 150 years of farming the same ground um, with one family. And so, so we take pretty, pretty cool um, little honor for that. And, but that's kind of our history is we just, we've adapted over time and we've been doing it for, for a long time. So hopefully I can keep it going. So that is really, really cool. So what does your dad do? So is it, is he also a ranger from a different family or? Um, nope. So my dad, so my mom, she would be the fifth. She's a school teacher. She taught, um, second grade for I think 17 or 18 years. And then she taught fifth grade for about five. And now she's a, um, reading teacher. And so basically kids that don't read at or above their grade level, um, she'll pull them out of class just for the elementary. She'll pull them out of class and help them read better. And so then my dad, he's, um, he's a math guy. He's a, we joke. Um, he's the, he's the corporate office of the family. He works for Wells enterprises or formerly known as Wells blue bunny ice cream. And so, yep. Out of uh, Lamar's Iowa. And so what he does is he predicts based on sales analytics and all this, you know, math terms, he predicts how much ice cream they're going to sell every month. And so then he predicts how much they're going to sell. And then that goes to another department where they order the ingredients. And, uh, and then, so basically everything kind of, I know in the South talking to Southern people, blue bell is like the, you know, that's the ice cream of the South, but my dad, he works for Wells and that's commonly sold in the North, but, um, but that's what he does. Okay. That's super cool. <laughs> I like, that would be really fun to work um, for an ice cream. Okay. So that's my like one really bad guilty pleasure is like um, with sweets and ice cream. <laughs> no, that's, and it's funny. We, so it's obviously our families too. And because, but our excuse is, isn't, um, it's a sweet tooth. It's we're supporting my dad. So, <laughs> so we have an excuse because it pays the bills. So, <laughs> well, okay. So my mom used to work for Coca-Cola and if any, um, of like the cans or bottles got damaged, they couldn't sell them in the store. Yep. So basically they would either have to get shipped back or they could be purchased at wholesale price by like somebody else. So we would always have like just a shitload of free soda sitting in our house. It was all like Coca-Cola owned. Yep. I thought like the same with ice cream. Yep, exactly. It's like, um, I think it was last year, no, two years ago before kind of all this COVID mess. Um, they, um, have you ever had like a champ cone, like with vanilla or chocolate or caramel in the middle? Had one yeah. of those? Yeah. And so basically what they did when they made them, they put the wrong wrapping so the vanilla ones were wrapped as caramel champ cones and so they had to like ship them all back and then my dad bought like i don't know he bought like a case for everybody for christmas or something so so we ate champ cones for like two months but but yeah so we have that every once in a while and then um i before covid so we'd haul our cattle out to sioux city which is like 10 or 15 minutes from where my dad works and I'll, okay. whenever I would get out there, I'd call him and I'd say, Hey, are you at work? Yeah. And I said, you care if I come in? And he said, yeah, no problem. So I'd call him like five minutes before I would show up. He'd meet me down at the entrance because you, you need like a security badge and all this and that. And so then 
I would take off my boots because it's a corporate office, you know, so everyone's like dressed super nice. And me, I just came from hauling cattle. So like I smell like, <laughs> like manure, my boots are covered. So I take my boots off at the door to be polite. And then he took me up to the third floor, which is where the ice cream bunkers are. And so if they have some, they didn't like sell or they just shit back, they'd put it in these bunkers. And that's, so I just go and we'd sit and talk for an hour and I'd eat free ice cream. So it's the, so there's perks to the, to the game there. Oh, that's a dream. <laughs> yeah. And then my, uh, a funny story about my dad. So he came up for Easter weekend, um, last weekend. Um, and he had last year, he had a pacemaker put in. And so every, every day and every week, he has an app on his phone that tracks his pacemaker activity. And when he showed up on the farm, I think it was Thursday, he was averaging four hours of walking, running, um, like on his pacemaker per day. And he came up to the farm and it jumped all the way up to like eight hours per day. <laughs> so, so, so we put him to work when he's here. So he, he likes the farm and he loves to come out once in a while too. So. Well, I feel like this is in no way saying anything negative about your dad in case it ever it comes off that way. It's totally not meant to, but it's the people who like have other family members who have farms or someone who has like a hobby ranch or something, they like get to come up into fun work and then they're like, yeah, this is great. but they're like it wouldn't be great to do this all the time (laughs) yep that's the way my dad is he's like he's like you know I love working with you Ethan but uh you know I don't miss my desk too much and and he's like I think he's mid-50s and he'll text me he'd be like man my back is sore like man my hands are sore (laughs) so so he can only spend limited time before he's got to go back to his his desk so (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like he's willing to work hard when he does come out. Yeah, he's know. he's super handy. He's really good at woodworking. It's his passion. So we put him to work doing that. Woodworking is super interesting. I have negative amounts of hand-eye coordination. So like <laughs> I can't do, even when I'm like doing art, like on my iPad and like procreate for graphic design stuff, I'm just like, this looks, I can't even draw a straight line. No, I'm not very, like my dad, he's so good at it but that, that did not get handed down to the next generation. And like, I'm terrible. So I'm, I'm glad he's around and he loves doing it because I'm, I'm bad at it too. (laughs) Are you good at like welding and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I'm good at like different. Yeah. But I just didn't grow up with it, I guess, like my dad did. And so I just like, dad, I need something fixed. And it's like 10 times faster to like tell him to go do it versus me. It takes me like, an hour, hour and a half. And he's like, oh yeah. And patches it in like 10 minutes. I'm like, thanks. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Uh, okay. Let's back up just a little bit. So you mentioned that you grew up like in town, but you don't kind of like work summers with your grandfather. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like some of the experiences that you've had getting to do that? Like you kind of got to live this almost dual life of like working and doing ranch stuff and then also like getting to do like normal in town kid stuff. Yeah. So I grew up in town. Um, I was, yeah, I was basically, a uh, I grew up in a high school or in a town with like 5,000 people. I had a hundred kids in my graduating class. So not like a big town, but you still knew everybody. And so I grew up playing um, my first love before kind of farming too was sports. Um, I'm a big sports fanatic. I grew up um, 
wrestling. Wrestling in Iowa is like the football or the SEC of the South, and we love to wrestle. Um, so I grew up wrestling. I played baseball. Um, I played basketball. I um, played soccer. So I was, I was a four-sport athlete in high school, um, and I grew up doing that, um, hanging out with you know friends. But, yeah, like you said, just living the town life. And then as I grew older, I realized that I gravitated more towards that aspect of agriculture and rural America. I just thought it was, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting way of life and I could be my own boss. That was super nice. Yeah. You can, to a certain degree, set your own hours and stuff like that. And so I really like that aspect of it where if you work hard, you can, you know, still be your own boss and um, that sort of thing. But now that I'm, I'm in agriculture, I just, I don't know what else I'd do. And so, so I'm grateful that I grew up in town because I built a lot of connections with, you know, people like, like bankers or, um, you know, like community leaders, um, you know, people that ultimately set, um, kind of set the baseline to help you farm because it, it does take, you know, not just agriculture people to farm. It takes a lot of people in town and in the city to help you um, be successful, but that's kind of, did that answer your question, I guess? <laughs> yeah, it did. And that actually brings up like this really interesting um, thing that I've kind of been exploring with some other guests recently too, is like the disconnect between like kind of the general public, the everyday person and agriculture and ranching and farming is there seems to be like, if you are a rancher or a farmer, you look and think and act a certain way and then there's like everybody else. Yep. Yeah. That, that, so, dis, that disconnect is so it's, it's like a million dollar question in agriculture because for me personally, a lot of my personal friends now are in agriculture. And so when I go and talk to them, we talk about agriculture, but in reality, what we need to be doing is expanding outside of our comfort zone and talking to those people that, you know, don't understand because I think America is, I think two to three generations removed from farming. And so my goal, like, especially this year is to advocate more and more often. Like I started our own family page, which is Hauk Family Farms. That's what we go by. It's H-O-U-C-K family farms. Uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook. And so I just try and reach people. And one way that we did that this year was actually my sister, um, Eden. She's um, also an egg. She's in the swine industry, which is huge in Iowa. And um, I think last, it was March 20th, was meet out day in Colorado. And that shook a lot of people in you know, my business. Um, beef. I think it was more directed at beef, but meat in general. And Eden wrote this beautiful piece about why it's important to support agriculture and why it's important to be informed about where your food comes from. And I think on that Facebook post, it reached like four or 5,000 people. And, you know, it's not necessarily I talk to them personally, but that message reached there. And I think that getting that reach out there any way we can, whether it's a personal connection, Facebook share, or just relating to someone and, and connecting with them. Um, it's huge. And I work, you know, 
every day trying to get one more voice to listen to ag. So it's, but it's definitely a tough, tough topic and a tough issue for ranching and, and farmers everywhere. Um, is it okay if I read the post that she wrote? It's, I really like it. Absolutely. Okay. So Eden's post on the, um, you said it's Hauk, is that how you pronounce the last name? Yep. Hauk. Yep. Okay. On the Hauk family farms page, it says, Hi, Eden here, the one that farms pigs but holds cattle and their caregivers very near to my heart. On Saturday, March 20th, 2021, you'll find me wearing my EP shirt and fuzzy socks. Today is a frustrating and sad day for the American farmer and rancher, especially those in Colorado. The governor of Colorado declared March 20th meat out day as a way to promote a meatless diet. It frustrates me for many reasons, but the main one is that ranching, farming, and the meat industry in Colorado is a large part of the state's economy. Meat products are Colorado's number one export. Beef production has the highest export value on an annual basis. And in 2020, fresh or chilled beef, fresh or chilled beef brought in $531 million in export value more than any other category. Fortunately, Iowa's governor declared April meat on the table month to promote, to promote Iowa's livestock producers and Iowa as the second leading agriculture state, agriculture state in the country. The Nebraska governor promoted the beef industry by declaring March 20th as meat on the menu day. Lastly, don't be afraid to ask questions about where your food comes from. Our door is always open on the farm, and we usually have cold bush life. You want to sit and talk about how your, how your food is produced. So can you um, explain what, like, meat out day is or, like, kind of what, how that came about for Colorado? Do you know enough about that to talk about it? Um, I, so basically just what I read, um, so I didn't know anything about it before like March 20th. I didn't know it was planned, um, because Iowa, our, our legislature is very supportive of agriculture, farmers and ranchers. Um, but basically it's just a way to promote a meatless diet or a plant-based diet to, um, the direction was to promote sustainability, um, because agriculture gets a bad reputation for that. Um, and that was basically the, um, the goal of it, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I think that is, that's also more or less what my understanding of it is. Um, and I, I was like, this might be controversial, but I personally think that, you know, every person should do the research on like what type of diet works best for them. Nope. I don't think the, government really has any business saying you should absolutely be plant-based or you should absolutely be meat-based. I think that decision should be on individuals to decide for themselves. Yep. No, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. I do because, you know, there's so much information out there that people can reach to or grab. And there's so many people out there with information. And like you said, it's, it should be up to that person because, some person may have different dietary requirements or an allergy or, or this or that. And so, you know, obviously I want to promote the beef industry, but I think one of my, my dietitian friends from uh, up in Minnesota, she lives out uh, just West of Minneapolis. She's like, I don't care what you're eating as long as you're eating. And I agree. Like as long as you are doing what's right for you and your family and your health, that's what it's about. And, and that's what it should be about. So I agree with you. 
Yeah, and I think in that vein, a lot of people have some misconceptions about like how um, how the life cycle of beef works or how the life cycle of like uh, a family-based farm works. Can you kind of like walk me through the typical life cycle of the beef that you guys raise? Yep. Yeah, so um, we're basically from cow calf all the way to the feedlot. And so all these cows that are calving now, these babies will um, basically the, so we calve in, in March and April, and then we'll put them on pasture, usually, hopefully, hopefully in May, but usually in June, depending on weather conditions. Um, and then from June until uh, usually middle of October or November, it kind of, kind of depends when, um, harvest is and how harvest is going, but usually in mid October we'll wean them. And so weaning is when we take the cow, um, we take the calf off the cow and we'll put it on a grower diet in our feedlot and our feedlots are, um, we have one dirt lot, which is super nice. Um, and then we have one concrete lot, which is um, nice to keep clean or easier to keep clean. And then, so from about October, they'll be on a grower and then typically they'll be on a, um, feedlot diet of some sort until about next, the following June or July. And that's typically when they'll, um, go to either packing house or one thing we've been trying to do, um, is sell direct to the consumer and sell our product um, because local beef and local farms, um, people want to know where their food comes from and our neighbors, you know, know us and they know our family. And so they like to buy beef from us. So we've been trying to build that aspect of it. Um, but that's kind of the basic lifestyle for us or life cycle. Um, some people will just be a feedlot. So they'll buy their calves weighing, they can buy calves year round. They'll buy usually 600 to 700 pound cattle. And then it'll be the same kind of cycle, same, same type of, um, of life cycle. I gotcha. Thank you. That's like, I feel like people who aren't heavily involved, you know, myself included with beef on a consistent basis, don't really know what that looks like, or they're like immediately as soon as they're born, calves are ripped away from moms. They don't, they don't ever have this like good, healthy uh, life. And I know a lot of, especially smaller operations, try to treat their animals really well because they care. I mean, they they care about them, and that's the right thing to do. Yep. Um, one thing that my kind of my grandpa says is if you take care of the livestock, they'll take care of you. And it's like hundred percent true because um, like from, like you said, from the beginning, you know, when, like you said, weaning is, you know, controversial because it's, you know, you're taking that, um, that calf from the mother, but I, I kind of tell people it's like a kid going off to college. It's, and it's accurate because Sometimes you get like when you drop your first kid off at college, my, so I'm the oldest, my mom dropped me off at college and she cried, (laughs) she cried. (laughs) And, and, but then 
once Eden came along, she's three years younger than me. Um, she said, yep, see you later. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and so that's the same kind of aspect in cattle where some mothers it's more stressful on them and other mothers are like, see you later, like, you know, adios. But, um, so we try and mitigate that too, by, um, fence line weaning where basically they're across the fence from each other. So they can't suck the mother, um, or kind of, but they can still see their baby and they can still, um, I guess it's not as stressful. And then over about two days, the babies and mothers, they just kind of, kind of wander away and they kind of go their separate ways. And then that releases, basically it increases their, their health, um, their, um, overall, um, gain and their overall attitudes. And so, so that's what we do to mitigate the stress of that process. And then once we get them to the feedlot, the first thing that we do is, um, we put them fresh bedding and fresh hay. So like fresh hay, basically, um, it's like comfort food to cattle. It re resets the rumen. Um, and it basically starts out their, their life cycle, um, as healthy as they can be. And so we try and start with hay and then we also feed them kind of a protein, um, like a mineral tub, which helps relieve stress as well. And so, so we, that transition can be difficult, but we definitely try and manage it, um, as, as best as we can. Well, I think there might even be a more direct, um, analogy as far as like comparing the weaning of calves to people mothers who breastfeed also wean their babies too so and that you know some moms are like no no i'm not ready but the child is ready or some moms are like i'm over the like on day two they're like okay i'm done with this let's find an alternative yep and that you know that's obviously something that i i've never related to but yes (laughs) that is that is a hundred percent better example and and even on i'm thinking of this now is on the back end sometimes those mothers are such good mothers that they raise big calves. And so sometimes that mother's energy, she's not taking in enough energy to produce all that milk or so basically her nutrient requirements are going through the roof, but she's not getting enough nutrients through the grass. And so sometimes they get kind of skinny and that can itself be an issue. And so sometimes um, you have to look out for the mothers as well. And you have to make sure that they're staying healthy too. And that's a fine balance there, but. Yeah, I agree. So um, something you said that I also want to touch on is you've kind of been focusing on like selling direct to consumer and something I talked to you about some of, or something I talked with some of the other producers that I spoke with um, in previous interviews is they said that they saw a bigger increase in like direct to consumer sales with COVID happening. Is that true for you guys or? Yeah, 100%. Um, With COVID, you know, the supply chain got totally messed up in in the cattle industry because those workers were working in such tight quarters that, you know, they had to shut down for two weeks. And so instead of sending them to a conventional packing plant, we switched over to our local small processing plant. And people couldn't get, basically 
our customers saw the writing on the wall to quote unquote, that if the packing plants are shutting down, that means they're not killing cattle. That means they're not getting it to the store. And so they're like, Hey, do you have beef? And you're like, yeah, we got plenty. Would you like some? <laughs> and so typically I think when I first came to the farm, we sold five or six a year. And I think last year we sold 15. And so, um, so yeah, we doubled what we usually sell and, and we weren't even trying to is the thing is people were just always asking and um, just, they, they wanted beef and they wanted high quality beef and they just went to their local farmer because they knew them they trusted them and they got, they got good beef. So, so yeah, it, it helped our sales immensely. And um, COVID was one of the few blessings um, in the cattle side on that aspect of it. Yeah. I know some of my previous guests had kind of expressed their like for small farms who don't do a ton of like selling direct or who were really struggling with sales, trying to beat out bigger operations. Um, it was a blessing in disguise for those little farms and ranchers because they had their communities kind of come together. And I was, I always reflect back on like what our time we were on the ranch the whole time during COVID up until September. So we had, we were like always had, uh, you know, freezer full of meat. It was a combination of like deer and um, hog and beef from the ranch because here you can hog hunt whenever you want. They're a nuisance. Um, and so I was just like, so constantly like feeling so blessed that like, okay, this is like not a reality for so many other people. And I'm like, I'm glad we're in the position of like being able to sustain this for ourselves and being able to help out our neighbors too. Yeah, ex exactly right. And I would echo what you just said is, you know, we're pretty blessed to, be in that situation because that's one thing um, we've tried to help is food insecurity in our county through the Farm Bureau. The Farm Bureau helped donate money to the food pantries to help people who who couldn't, you know, who got laid off or couldn't afford a meal. And so that's, a, you know, that's something that is a blessing to be able to have a freezer full of beef or pork and um, and that was, it was very, yes, fortunate, so. Yeah, so something that cool that happened up where we live is there was a local, um, I don't know if they were a butcher or what their technical business was, but if you, since hogs, wild hogs here are a nuisance, I don't know if you have them there, but. No, not yet, quote unquote. Okay. okay, so here you can kind of hunt them whenever you want, um, and obviously that's, that's pork, right? So, um, but there's a place and several other places up near where we used to live that if you just shot them because they were a nuisance and you didn't want the meat, you could take the pork to this place and they would um, do all of like the butchering and stuff like that and then do donate it to a local food pantry or yep. a shelter. And I'm like, that is, so I like, I didn't know prior to moving down here, I didn't realize that places like that existed. And I'm like, that is so cool that that's a way that business is able to give back to their community. Yeah, that's something that happens here in Iowa, uh, more so with 
um, deer. A lot of people hunt deer because it's a nuisance in our area, but um, yeah, they'll, um, you know, donate it to a locker. And then sometimes the locker will um, donate the processing and, or sometimes the um, maybe a local like charity or, you know, pheasants forever will pay for the processing, that type of thing. And that's something that helped out huge in our area as well. Hey, this is Sophia Solzner, owner of the Western Tap Specialist and founder of the Punchy Posse. As a former guest of the Range Collective podcast, I can genuinely say I hope you are loving this episode and become a regular listener if you're not already. Harley graciously provided me this opportunity to talk to you real quick, so I wanted to tell you who I am and what I do to see if I can help you. I work exclusively with Western and rural women who own a business, whether online or in their hometown. I spent four years developing social media strategies through hands-on experience with clients all across the country. I took these proven strategies and seeing a need in the Western industry decided to serve my babes, my Western and rural women, and support them on their journey to being a successful business owner. At the Western Trap Specialist, I offer one-on-one coaching and strategy sessions, Shopify website design, social media management, and a slew of trainings. My most popular program right now is called the Punchy Paycheck. The Punchy Paycheck is a monthly membership that includes a live training each month on a topic chosen to help you grow and maintain your business, a live Q&A session, and a private group chat exclusive to Punchy Paycheck members. All this is valued at over $300, but to allow as many Haas babes as possible to participate, it is only $29 a month. This program is a perfect first step to growing your business or an amazing accountability tool to keep you pushing yourself past the level you've already reached. If you'd like to sign up, you can head to thewesternshopspecialist.com. You can also find out so much more about me and my business on my website and a direct link to join the Punchy Posse, which is a group exclusively for Western and rural women business owners. I would also love to connect with you on any of my socials. You can find me on Instagram at Sophia Solzner or at the Punchy Posse and also on Facebook, just the Western Shop Specialist. I look forward to chatting with you and I really hope you enjoy the rest of this episode with Harley and her guests. I agree. So something that I actually talked to, um, I think it was Brandy Buzzard. I don't know if you know who she is, but something her and I talked about in her episode was um, making sure that there's like meat available at like essentially every level of income. Um, And then you talked about, you just mentioned food insecurity. So in what ways does like, are you as the cattleman able to like help with that type of thing, like helping educate people, helping make sure that there's affordable beef in your community? Like what way, how are you able to help with that? Yeah. Um, I think one way, the main way that I, so I serve on the board of um, the Wright County Farm Bureau. Um, And so the Farm Bureau, we help fund a lot of those type of donations that way um, to help with food directly with the food part. Um, but food insecurity, you know, one thing that I've partnered with, maybe not in my, uh, my area, but up in Minnesota, I'm working with a, a dietitian and we're basically teaching kids the, how beef starts the life cycle of beef. And so we're trying to, you know, teach these kids about, you know, um, the misconceptions of hormones in beef and antibiotics in beef and, basically try to remove that um i don't know the right term might like food bullying almost that there's well there's this in your food or there's this 
try to educate consumers and kids um, about where their food comes from truthfully. And that's kind of where I've been um, most effective, but then also on that food pantry side too. So what do you specifically mentioned, like you try to dispel some of the mistruths around hormones and stuff like that can you kind of like maybe share what some of those common misconceptions are and then what the actual truth is yeah so basically probably one of the biggest ones is like the hormones in beef um i think that is is because obviously it's a it's a big big buzzword that people don't want and so what i would say to that is an implant is about if you look at your your um, thumb it's about the size of your thumbnail (laughs) that's that's how big it is and it's like you know what a number two pencil eraser looks like you remember those yeah like so it's basically that's what it looks like is a number two pencil eraser except it's white and it's the size of your thumbnail and so what that is it goes in the ear of the steer and it can vary the length but it can vary from 100 days to 150 days, depending on the company is all. But the point is, is that it helps growth. And the on the back end of that is people say, well, it helps in, in growth and it, it's bad for the animal. It's It has no effect on the animal other than it makes the animal more feed efficient. And then one thing that is miss a misconception is that the hormones are in the beef. So when that animal goes to um, be harvested on that implant, there's a withdrawal date. And so as long as that implant is past withdrawal, it can be harvested. And that's the only time it can be harvested. And so when they talk about, well, there's hormones in my beef, like the only thing I would say to that is according to an Iowa state study, I think it was Iowa state and Kansas state that there was like three, I think it was like nanograms or micrograms more of estrogen in your in an eight ounce serving of steak. And to put that into perspective, there's, I think like thousands and thousands of nanograms of estrogen in a female at any given time. So three is, you know, ultimately minuscule. And also something I'd like to add into that is the fact that um, labeling is often misleading. So when I say that is, say you have a beef or a steak that's labeled hormone-free, like that's misleading. And for the reason of that is because there's hormones naturally occurring in every single animal, like regardless of whether it's implanted or not. And so when you see hormone-free and it's marked up more, like don't ever pay more for something labeled like that. It has to be labeled no hormones added because that's legally the correct way to say that. Does that make sense? I mean, trying to make it sound, make it simple. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's a, I feel like that's an important distinction to make because I mean, it, the reality of it is this was like at one time a living being. So there's going to be hormones in it. And if you are really super worried about that, then you should be like, you should be looking for something that's labeled correctly as no hormones added, even if the amount that would be added is negligible. Yeah. And so like, I I was just looking this up as I wanted to get my facts right. And it was, so in an eight ounce, it'd be 5.2 nanograms, but like in, um, of it's called estrogenic activity. And then in a beef implant, it's half beef from non-implanted. It's half that. Or what people don't understand is like estrogenic activity in eggs is like 94 or something. It's like, 
way through the roof. But for whatever reason, beef just gets put that way. But but to the point is like I don't shy away from the fact that because we do use it, but the fact is we use it responsibly and correctly through withdrawal dates and making sure it's still it's a safe product at the end. So I guess is it okay if I go into antibiotics too? Is that okay? Yeah, that was actually going to be the next thing that I wanted to ask about. Sorry, I was like about to ask about it and then I started coughing, so I abbreviated my <laughs> microphone. But um, yeah, so I know there's a lot of like concerns around the use of antibiotics um, as well as vaccines. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about that a little bit too. Yep. So, so antibiotics is, is a hot topic because, you know, nobody wants a residue in your, you know, in your beef or in, in any food. But one thing that, um, is, you know, commonly said is, well, they, they pump them full of antibiotics to keep them healthy. Well, it's just, that's just not true. And here's why, because so first thing that all cattlemen have to do and started in 2020 was we, in order to sell cattle at any facility, whether it's a, an auction, a packing plant, anywhere, you have to take a beef quality assurance program. And so what that is, is that's a U.S. national cattlemen's program that it's basically 15 modules of like how to work cattle, how to handle cattle, how to transport cattle, how to apply antibiotics, how to, um, oh, I mean, there's like that's just to name a few off the top of my head, but it's a 15 kind of module program. And it took me like three hours to finish. So it's very strenuous and you have to update it every three years. And then on top of that, BQA has been around for 25 years. So they constantly update it to industry um, like concerns or um, I guess hot topics, so you speak, so that all cattlemen are versed in those. And then, um, so that's the basic, like, is why cattlemen use them responsibly is because we're all required to learn how they work and how to use them responsibly. And so that's, that's the main thing that gets misconception is that we just use them willy nilly when like we use them a hundred percent responsibly and safe. And so the next point would be that on antibiotics is a withdrawal date. And so that's the exact same thing where if you give a dose of say any injectable on that label, it's going to say, you know, six, whatever, six milliliters per hundred weight is one. And then the withdrawal on that um, is, you know, X, X days. And so every cattleman keeps records, whether it be in the computer, paper, um, something like that, it's wrote down. And so that way, you know, that that cattle is not going to the packing plant or being harvested while there's residue in that animal. And so that's, that's one thing is not only is it done responsibly, but it's also recorded so that we can go back and we can make sure that, that, um, we're producing a safe product for, for any consumer, because at the end of the day, my family is eating the meat that we produce for everyone else. And so we obviously want to eat it. You know, we want it to be safe for us as well. And that's why it's important to, to be safe and responsible 
in every aspect of this industry because it's affecting not just who we who we sell it to, but it's affecting us too. So that's that's what I'd say about antibiotics. Yeah, I feel like that's a good answer to that because I know there is a lot of concern with stuff like that being in like in foods that you're consuming, whether that's um, beef or some kind of other. I guess if you're like, if you also like farm or like you grow crops or something like that, could not figure out the right way to phrase that without it sounding weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So do you feel like social media helps with easy access to information and like helps you educate people better? Social media is social media. I would describe as a double-edged sword um, because like for me personally, and my family and my sister, you know, we definitely try to educate as much as we can, as often as we can. And we reach more people through social media than me, you know, going to everybody's house individually or uh, something like that. But on the, the other edge of that sword is sometimes fear-based and misleading claims about agriculture spread faster than I can spread the truth. And that's the unfortunate side. And that's why, that's why I educate because everybody in agriculture and the cattle industry has an uphill battle in fighting that misinformation. And so if I can, if I can just reach 10 more people on each post, like I'm, I'm chipping away and I'm, I can keep climbing up the hill. So um, I do feel like to your question, we do educate and we do get a lot of good information out there. And that's, that's the goal is to just keep getting good information out there and keep people listening to agriculture. Well, that's a good lead into the next kind of question that I wanted to ask you since, so I'm not an educator. I don't know enough about the beef industry or any ranching industry at all to feel comfortable educating like myself, educating other people about it beyond sharing what people have shared with me. And so I was wondering if you, and or your sister and or whoever else may be active on your accounts, if you deal with a lot of, um, I guess they call themselves like animal rights activists or people who are sharing like fear-based information or misinformation because they've been educated incorrectly. Do you deal with a lot of that? Um, No, I actually don't um, because just for the simple fact, a lot of people that follow the page we sell to, and they, you know, talk to my parents out and about, or they go to church with them. And so it's more like in the infancy stages of getting our brand and our name out there. But I have more so at Iowa State or through the Farm Bureau. Um, I have dealt with it. And we I've taken trainings on how to advocate and how to promote agriculture to people you know, consumers who are not in ag or are removed from the farm. And I, I relish those opportunities and it's kind of sounds odd, but because those are the people that are spreading misinformation. And if you can get in front of them and tell them the facts, most of those people listen and they actually want to learn where their food comes from, but they don't know how to access the farmer because like, to be honest, I work, you know, 12 hours, something today. And I don't have time to go out and talk to those people all the time. But when I can get in front of them, I, you know, I don't miss my opportunity. I, I do know that. Yeah. Well, I feel like it can be 
really, really intimidating to essentially go up to this person who you don't know, who if you feel really passionate, passionately about maybe you like really, really strongly believe that beef um, cattle are like abused their whole lives and you're really passionate about it. It is really hard to go up to someone who you perceive as essentially the enemy and have that conversation and come to the table and talk. Yeah, it is. And that's a fine, you know, like I said, I definitely take my opportunities, but it's also a fine line. Like you said, is sometimes people like there's people that just don't want to listen. And so sometimes you, you give your pitch and you tell them exactly what you do and you lay out the facts and you tell them like, this is what we do. This is why we do it. Whether it's, whether it's science-based research, X, Y, Z, and then sometimes you just have to let the chips fall where they may, because, you know, sometimes you may not change their mind. You, they came into that conversation knowing that they were right before you opened your mouth and that's just the way it is. But, you know, don't, my advice would be don't let that opportunity slide, but also don't be afraid to swallow your pride too. <laughs> you said you've like taken courses on how to advocate well, yeah. the right way. Yep. What does that, what, like, okay, first of all, where does one find those? And second of all, like, how, what do they just teach you how to, like, talk to people who may be, like, defensive about yep. animal products? So how does that work? Yep. So, so like I've mentioned a couple of times, I guess, um, I'm pretty, pretty active in the Iowa Farm Bureau. And basically the Farm Bureau is uh, kind of their main goal is to, like, lobby, um, legislation that's you know pro agriculture and that's kind of their big thing in Iowa but one thing so in order to get kind of in a leadership position on a board they recommend that you take this class and it's called the Iowa Ag Leaders Academy and it sounds fancy and it's it's a good time it's basically 25 yeah 25 or 30 people from across the state and you apply and it's a pretty decent application. And anyways, they have this committee of kind of people who just take care of young farmers. And one of the people in there is she just puts on this whole academy. And so it's a five, I think five or six sessions of you go down uh, Thursday night, they put you in a hotel. And then Friday is from about 8 a.m. to about 8 p.m. is just speakers, like industry speakers, um, challenging you to think outside the box, challenging you to think differently, to see the world differently, because that's ultimately how our consumers see it. And to um, advocate, so like like you said, re, um, late, relate to people who don't agree with agriculture. And it's just, it, it was really intensive because there's so much information and there's so many activities and there's so much going on. So not only do you have two 12 hour days, but then, so you go back home and you get homework assignments and I'm like, what? And so we had this binder and after every session you have two homework assignments. So after the first one was you had to write basically this guy, he came in and he challenged us to think creatively and differently. And so we had to write a, professional creative writing piece. And I'm like, so I'm not artsy at all. 
or like a writer or anything. I'm a cattleman. And so I sat down for like an hour and a half writing this creative writing that related to agriculture. And it was super difficult. Another one was you had to plan an event for your Wright County Farm Bureau to increase um, the Farm Bureau's reach or like a county activity. So one that we did was um, we basically pack, it's called pack the cab and you park a tractor or that I, a, a friend of mine did this, I should say. They parked the tractor in front of like a fairway, like a grocery store in Iowa. And they said, this is what the local, they stood outside. This is what the local food pantry needs or wants. And they, people would go in, buy those items, donate it to the Farm Bureau. And then they would put that, that item in the tractor cab. And they would basically do this until the tractor cab was full. And then they would donate it all to the food pantries of North Iowa or whatever their selective charity was. And so we had to plan one of those. Um, and then in December we were supposed to graduate and we'd go to this, this conference for two days. Um, but with COVID it got canceled. So, but yeah, so that's one thing that I did. It was super intensive. Um, another one would be the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. They have a young cattlemen's, um, I forget the correct name, but it's a young cattlemen's like um, program similar to the farm bureaus, except just specific to advocating for the beef industry. And same thing, probably four or five sessions. I know one session for the farm bureau and the cattlemen's um, you go down to the state capital and you practice lobbying. And for um, the cattlemen's, they did that for the, Farm Bureau one, we actually lobbied to our um, U.S. senators and representatives. And so that was like intense, but but effective because like I said, when I kind of started was the Farm Bureau's goal is to, you know, propose legislation that is for farmers. Um, but so we did that. I mean, it's all across the board, pretty much every facet of the industry that a farmer could possibly touch outside of the farm, we we learned about it. <laughs> and so it just kind of makes you more of a well-rounded young farmer and an advocate for, for the industry, no matter which part you're in. That's always like so interesting to me because I grew up in a town that wasn't particularly like associated with agriculture or ranching or farming or in really any way aside from we have like a pretty decent rodeo program out of the junior college in the town where I'm from. And so I never knew about any of the opportunities. I think, I think my life would have turned out much different had I been aware at that time and or really got super into it in college, but I didn't care in college if I'm being perfectly honest about it. <laughs> um, but I'm like always amazed. I'm like, wow, there was like so many opportunities that I didn't know about. And I'm like, the things I would do differently if I knew. Yeah. And that I was the same way. Like in college, I, yeah, probably wasn't the best like steward of agriculture, but, but once I got out, you know, I just wanted, like, I was, you know, I still am, I'm dead set on being, being in agriculture. And in some ways you just gotta, like I did with ag leaders, step out of your comfort zone and let her rip. So that's what I did. <laughs>
just like two minutes to take my dog outside. He's pacing. I think he might need to go to the bathroom. Yeah, no, that's cool. I can wait. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you bet. Oh, yeah. Okay, how do you feel about Clubhouse? So I found, so I found Katie, truck, and um, I noticed that you're in her, the Clubhouse group thing. I don't know what the right term is. And then it was like, literally, I followed her on Clubhouse, like, stalked through a whole bunch of people that are, like, in that group. And it was like the next day I came across the um, thing, oh. the TikTok that I saw. Yep. Yeah. So Katie's um, little club, I had to think of it myself. It's Ag Leaders Academy is what that club is in Clubhouse. And uh, yeah, she puts on a lot of good rooms. And that's how I got got acquainted with everybody in that TikTok was. But to your reference, we did a TikTok um, on Pass the Phone. One of our, the dietitian I've actually been referring to, Kennedy, um, it's kind of her idea. And she's um, threw it out there to everybody and everybody was, you know, on board. And so it was just kind of a cool way to connect with everyone else yet expand all of our reaches and, you know, get more followers to what, you know, people who preach about agriculture. So that was a cool experience. And, but clubhouse itself is pretty cool. Like, so I run the cattleman's corner. We typically meet Mondays at like eight o'clock because (laughs) that's, the only time I can guarantee I'm not working. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of late, but um, we have a lot of good agriculture discussion, um, a club. I mean, it, there's just a lot of good people that one are in agriculture and a mix of people who are not in agriculture, but like genuinely want to know where their food comes from and how it's grown and how it's raised. And then, and then every once in a while you get somebody, you know, who's not, not receptive, but overall it's been a good experience. I've connected with a lot of, a lot of folks from across the country and uh, just help build that network and build that, that reach. So it's been cool. Really cool. Yeah. I, um, so I interviewed Katie a couple days ago and her and I, t- I think we literally talked for like 35 minutes just about the clubhouse experiences <laughs> she's yeah. having so much fun with that but I yeah so I feel like that group is a good mix of people who are like professional industry professionals and then people who like are interested in learning or like who are like me I call myself ag adjacent because I'm not directly involved in agriculture production like at all but I have like a vested interest in its continued success yeah so um there's a lot of like people like me who are ag adjacent in there. And the first room that I hopped into that was um, from Ag Leaders Academy was this one um, last week where it was like women in ag and like what, how they felt their opportunities compared to the men in ag. And I got invited to like, I'm assuming because my profile picture is a women, a female picture. I was like, do you want to come up and speak? And I was like, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> Maybe later. But <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is a topic I know nothing about. I was like, I just want to listen. Yeah. And I do that too. In a lot of rooms, there was, there was one they were talking about, it was about vegan, being a vegan lifestyle and stuff like that. And I just listened and they, they called me up to the stage and I'm like, like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good down here. <laughs> but but <laughs> yeah, you can get outside your comfort zone too. And in, in like that room and it's kind of dangerous waters maybe for a cattleman, but it's just, it's good to hear the other side of the viewpoints and, and where other people are coming from. But overall, like Katie's room, I, 
she puts on like I don't know how she has enough time in a day. Like she is, she's got a business and she just bought like a horse and she has meat chickens. And I'm like, girl, you are like a go getter. So, so Katie Schrock, if you're listening, you have my full approval and you're awesome. So <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I, she's cool. she's like the coolest person I've ever talked to. I'm just like, oh my gosh. But I don't know how she, I honestly, does she get like an extra, like several hours a day? Does she not, maybe she's a vampire. She doesn't sleep. I don't know. I don't know either, but. I'm glad she is who she is because I w- wouldn't tell her wouldn't change for a bit. So, <laughs> no, me either. Yeah, so that was something really interesting that we and we talked about. Like, it is always interesting to see like where other people's perspectives are and like being able to meet someone in the middle. That I think is important about advocating is like whether it's someone you think you're like I would never ever have anything in common with this person, but there's all like we're all people so there's like always going to be something like maybe maybe you're like trying to reach out to somebody who doesn't know anything or like maybe you're reaching out to someone who's like doesn't eat any meat at all and you're like okay what could I possibly have in common with this person oh well, maybe they're not eating meat because they think animals are important and they value animals okay well I've dedicated my whole life to raising animals so I also think that animals are valuable and important so there's like always somewhere you can meet somebody Yep. And that's, that's like the, I'd say the base, like root of advocating is connecting to someone on whether it be like what you're talking about. Um, like we value animals or on a personal level, like just connecting with them. Like I sat next to one guy at a wedding. He's like kind of an older guy. And he was like, well, and he got telling me he's from Denver, Colorado. And so I'm a big Cardinals fan. And um, basically what happened is their, their third baseman got traded to the Cardinals for, for almost nothing. And I said, well, you're probably a Rockies fan. And so we got to talking about baseball for like an hour and a half. And then through that, we just developed this kind of connection and this trust. And then he's, we started talking about what we did and we started talking about farming because that's you know what I do. And so we talked about farming for an hour and a half and I just taught this guy what you know beef production is and how we do it and so like you said that's that's the base of connecting with everybody and once you connect then you can advocate by continuing that conversation so i love it i think there's always room to be educated and educate someone else yep exactly right and like like i told somebody is like the day that the day that i quit learning or asking questions like that'll you know (laughs) I don't know when that is and I hope it never comes so (laughs) but okay so I've got two and a half final questions for you and then I'll let you go because starting at late it's like 8 30 ish um yeah so what in your like whole entire life of everything that you've ever ever done what are you the most proud of well that's a good one I'd probably say most proud of coming back to the farm. I would say, and for the reason because one, I'm lucky to be in the situation that I am because my family has an operation. Um, a lot of people who farm don't have that. And so not only do I get to come back to be with my family, um, I also get to keep that legacy going. And I think it, um, I take pride in that because like 
it's something that I can not only keep going, but I can pass down to hopefully to the next generation. And I think that's something to take pride in and to hopefully someday be proud of. What piece of advice would you give to someone who either is a interested in becoming an advocate or who um, maybe kind of grew up how you did with, you know, not on a ranch or Mm -hmm. on a farm, but like my family and farming who's like maybe considering going back to a farm or considering not doing that. What would you give? What would you say to those people? Um, I would say one, it's, it's an uphill battle for young farmers. Like I, I will not sugarcoat that because it's tough. You know, I, I have a family that helps me get started, but I also have to work a part-time job. So, so one, know that you're going to have to work hard to succeed, but two, know that when you work hard, like you will succeed. And so I think that's important. And then two, um, find yourself a mentor, like, a mentor, whether it's in advocating or it's in the cattle business, or it's just somebody in agriculture that is familiar with just agriculture in general, um, a mentor will connect you with the people that you need to be connected with. And he'll connect you with the people that will help you succeed because in order to succeed, not only do you have to work hard, but you have to surround yourself with people that tell you that, that they believe in you or that they, that they pump you up a little bit and that, that, you know, help you out essentially. And so, um, you know, work hard, find yourself a mentor and, um, the best way to get started volunteer. I can't tell you how many farmers look for help in the fall to run a tractor or to, um, you know, feed cows or help out on weekends because ultimately that type of volunteer work can help land you a job. It can help land you a connection or it can help, help you maybe find a pasture to get started um, having cows or find you land to rent or to lease to um, farm or own or um, something like that, just to help you get started is volunteering is the most, obviously it's not, you know, glamorous, you're not getting paid, but it gets your foot in the door. And those would be kind of the three things I would say to help you get started and um, keep going as well. Yeah. I feel like young people, I mean, us included, cause we are, we're both under 30. So, mm-hmm. um, maybe don't like see the value in necessarily like working for free um, because everything in our culture tells us like it has to be monetary for it to be valuable. Yep. Um, but all yeah. industries at the end of the day, all industries, every single one of them, if you have, you make those relationships and you have those connections, whether you're born with them or you foster them through working for other people or volunteering, um, that will get you really far. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like I, to kind of back up, I don't mean to sound like a Debbie Downer, you know, but I just want to, you know, point out the fact that it is difficult and that it's not, 
it's not easy to get started, but, uh, but yeah, like you said, you know, everything is like monetary or you should get, you should get paid or rewarded. And, but sometimes the best way is to just, just work and, and like you said, build connections. So I agree with what you said there. Yeah. One of the very, very first conversations I had when I started doing this podcast was that it's um, the industry's, you know, worst kept secret that a lot of times you bust your ass to barely break even. And I mean, that's true, but it is, it is a lot of hard work and it's like this, like a lot of physical hard work, but that certainly doesn't mean that it's not worth it. Yep. Exactly. Right. It's a hundred percent worth it to me and you know, my family and yeah, it's, it's just sometimes it's hard to see, see that it is worth it when, when it's like you said, break even. So, but yeah, it's, it's worth it. I guarantee anybody that. I agree. Or when it certainly wouldn't be, you know, doing this podcast or having yeah, this conversation. Ex- exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. If someone wants to connect with you on social media, where can they do that? Yep. So I'm on um, Instagram, Ethan underscore Lambert 22. And then I'm on Facebook as Ethan Lambert. Um, I'm on Twitter as I might have to look that up at Lambert ISU. Um, my alma mater, Iowa state or ISU, but at Lambert ISU. And then also our um, kind of family page is Hauk family farms. I uh, would be on Facebook. And that's spelled H-O-U-C-K, Family Farms. And then um, also on Instagram as well as um, Hauk Family Farms. So that's where you can reach me or or follow the farm page. Thank you so much for your time and all the information and for jumping right in and coming and talking to me. I really, really appreciate it. No, I echo that too. I appreciate the you know, the platform, like I said, anytime, you know, I can talk about the cattle industry, um, I'm down. (laughs) There's no, no hesitation for me. And I, I appreciate you giving me this platform too. So. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.